You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. I absolutely love talking sports, but especially basketball. And so this week, I get to talk about the game I played and the game I love with a young man whom I've had the pleasure of knowing and pastoring for about 12 years now. Grayson Boucher, also known as the professor from N1 Streetball fame, is my guest. He is a social media influencer with a global presence. And not only can he handle the rock and has used his platform effectively and globally, he's also genuinely just a humble guy, a great guy to be around. And even with a hectic schedule, uh, he'll come out with me and, and have fun on, on my birthday. Every year I would go out and try to dunk a basketball on my birthday as I get older and as I'm getting closer to 50. And it's been a couple of years since I've been able to do that, but he would come out, he would record it for me, encourage me, push me, and we just have fun with it, man. And I would, I would dunk one and be all excited, but you know, he would take the time out, even with a hectic schedule, and come out and hang with me, and, and we just, just have fun, and then we go eat and laugh and talk. Um, I learned a lot more about him from this conversation, and I know you will as well. Um, there's something important that I want to point out that hits at the intersection of sports and race that we can glean from his career. But I highly recommend sharing this episode with young athletes, especially basketball players who dream of playing college ball one day or even pro ball. So sit back and listen in on this conversation with the professor. Grayson, Professor Boucher, what's going on, my brother? Avenue, man. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Thanks for being here. Uh, I just I just introduced you um, so that people know who, who the guest is. Um, I want I want people to know more about you before we get into anything deep into the, the conversation. You've been around the world, man. You you you're known as the professor. Your brand is Global Hooper. You got the YouTube video, the YouTube channel going bananas. Everybody's on that following you on Instagram. Um, I love the Spider-Man uh, stuff you were doing years ago and, and still do, I think, a little bit. You made your name with and one. But I'm sure there are people out there who want to know, how would you get to this place? Tell us a little, a little bit more about your journey, where you started, where you came from. Um, introduce the people to Grayson, the Professor Boucher. Sure, man. And I appreciate those drops to begin with, the clothing and all. <laughs> no doubt. I, but no, hey, hey, I run in my Global Hooper shorts at least uh, once a week, bro. <laughs> I love it. I got to get you some more, man. That was from like season one. <clears throat> but no, um, taking it back to the beginning, uh, I'm actually from Kaiser, Oregon. Like nobody's ever heard of that. That's the outskirt of Salem, which is actually the capital of Oregon. Okay. I don't know. Um, but it's a small city. I think Kaiser, Oregon only has like 40,000 people. Um, my dad was my first b-ball idol. He showed me the game at actually two years old. Uh, he bought me a Larry Bird Nerf hoop, uh, which I took to right away. And then like I was trying, he always tell me that I was like entertaining the whole family trying to like make baskets on the Larry Bird hoop. Like I would tell the whole family, I'd be like, ready? <laughs> and I would like shoot. So that's where it started for me. We even have a picture of me at two years old, like holding the ball uh, in the driveway in the house that I grew up in. So. Okay. Um, pops really put me on the game but it was um i was actually born a lot of people assume since i'm from the suburbs in oregon that i was just like raised in wealth because my dad actually co-owned a jewelry store for majority of my life he just retired a few years ago okay um but i was actually uh born in like we were like lower middle class and then by the time i was 18 retired probably like middle class or something like that okay and so so your dad was he your coach you said he was, he, he showed me the game when I was little, it was like our thing. And then like, I think he started coaching me, I think when I, when I was in like third grade, all the way up to seventh grade or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so dad coached you, dad laid the foundation, got you going with, 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 with balling. Um, and then you transitioned to playing JV high school ball. What was that like? Yeah. So played, uh, every level AAU had just started. I think with my generation, AAU was still pretty new. 
or or had just started. I'm not sure. No, hey, you've been oh, dude. Okay, yeah, I played AAU. Boy. Okay, <laughs> got you. Yeah, so so I played AAU travel ball, and then um, got all the way up to junior in high school. I actually played on the JV team. I got cut from the varsity team my junior year. Okay. In okay. high school, played on the JV team. And I think a, a lot of my shortcomings always had to do with my look. You know what I mean? I just looked like a little kid. So yeah, yeah. a lot of coaches didn't really trust what I would uh, bring to the table on the defensive end. So I was on the JV team junior year. Uh, my parents ended up putting me in a private school. I transferred uh, really for a better opportunity at basketball and hopefully with the goal of trying to play in college. And then I had a great year at this small um, school called Salem Academy. Uh, I was like second team all state. I was one vote away from MVP of the league. I averaged like 20 some points, seven assists and was hoping to play college, but <clears throat> that didn't work out either. I actually got cut from three community colleges and then I ended up only playing a local community college because the coach of the, of the local team with Chemeketa community college was actually buying jewelry for my dad at the time. And my dad would like, kind of like talk him into like giving me a shot, told him I had a passion for the game and I was slept on and the dude was cool enough to actually give me a look. So he lets me on the team and I red shirt. And then like a few guards got injured right before the season. So next thing you know, I dress down, I play like three minutes a game, but like only half the games, because if, if, if the game is close, I wouldn't even get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, that was pretty much my whole run in school. And then after that, I improved like 300%. You know what I mean? Like in, in a span of like three or four months, I literally improved. I was like three times as good as I was three months prior. I just started working on weaknesses, hit the weight room, uh, doing like two, three a days. Sometimes we had open gym. And by the end, by the end of that summer, I was like the best player in the gym. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, as you were talking, I wonder what the, the, the coaches in high school who, who cut you or put you down on JV, wh what are they thinking now? Have you ever had a chance to, to run into any of them, talk to any of them? Uh, in passing, I did see them and I just said hello. You know what I mean? Like, how's it going? Because like, like a lot of people want me to have like resentment or, or to be like, you know, like, what are they saying now? They want me to like... I guess like stun on them or something, yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But like, nah, I, I think, I think their assessment at that time was actually pretty fair. I think okay. the way they viewed basketball was very like Hoosiers, very Princeton offense. So I don't think it was very like elite as far as like their viewpoint of the game. Okay. Cause like when I was in fifth grade, I had a trainer. I started working with actually when I was in like fourth grade, this dude, Rodney Howard, this dude was a beast. I don't even know. You might've met him. I don't know if you met him or not. Mm -mm, I don't remember. Okay. okay. So dude was a beast. Uh, he was five, seven himself, but he played D one. He was roommates with Gary Payton at OSU, but he taught me the game at a young age. And like, I just like, like pick up things fast. So he taught me the Iverson crossover in fourth grade. By the time I was in fifth grade, I literally could cross grown men who like weren't bad ball players, even though I was like, literally, I was like four feet tall. I could like <laughs> cross them over. Yeah and score so I felt like they overlooked potential you know they never like affirmed my game I actually yeah. they actually made me think I wasn't very good okay, you know okay. even offensively well I, I know now like I was elite offensively I just didn't really defensively I shy away from contact so I guess I don't really know what their thoughts are on things but I think that um their assessment wasn't too far off I think they could have affirmed me a little more and told me where I need to improve you know yeah yeah, yeah. true story yeah. true story you talk about coaches back in the day. You know, I was, you know, Michael Jordan was was my guy growing up. Oh yeah, that was everybody's guy, right? Too, yeah. I wanted to be like MJ when I was yeah. when I got to high school. I could do almost any dunk except for the, the free throw line. That's crazy, right? At yeah. five eight, five nine, five ten. By five ten, I, I could do those things. Dang, you were oh, so you were five ten in high school dunking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I just started dunking. When I was five nine. And I, and I tried because it's, I heard Jordan started dunking when he was 5'8". Oh, so wow, I was, really? So I was like, I got to get it. I got to get it. So in 10th grade, I started dunking. But okay. I remember playing against Michael Jordan's old high school, mm. Laney High. We, we scrimmaged them two years in a row. And I remember going to Laney my senior year. And I remember saying, I just want to destroy them just because he cut Michael Jordan in the ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. 
I ended up talking trash to him just because he cut Michael Jordan in the ninth grade. And he was Oh, it was the actual guy, the it was same the coach. Actual, the coach that's on the come fly with me. <laughs> You're so funny. So what do you say? What do you say? He 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 told us he told a guy, uh, make him go left, make him go left. And I looked at him while I was dribbling. I'm looking at him like, really? And I went left. But when I go left, I'm likely to pull up. I want to go left to pull up to shoot that jump shot, right? Okay. And so I was killing him. I probably had 20-something, 30 points in that game. And I ran down the court just talking to him, looking, looking at him one time. And I might have said something else to him another time. But all that was motivated because he cut Michael Jordan in the ninth grade. Hey, <laughs> But you know, That's you, awesome. you talk about coaches. You know, everybody who's listening. You know, we're, we're having fun right now. We're gonna get into some nitty gritty in a minute. But I want you to know who, who uh, the professor is. But um, you talk about coaches, man, and going to the college level. And I've never told this story. I'm gonna share this in a few weeks, more in depth. But my coach impacted me in a, in a negative way, doing some shady stuff, and kept me from going to to play in the ACC because I was real. I was a few right. days away. Yeah, I, I told you I was a few days we away about this. Yeah, from yeah. Uh, NC State, man. Uh, cool. Buzz Peterson was was one of, one of the guys recruiting me. I was talking to him on the phone, and they really, they really, they were the, the the biggest school that was coming at me the hardest. And he did some shady stuff. So I, I say that because coaches, a lot of times, people make it to certain levels. It's not necessarily about ability. A lot of yeah, times, politics, outlook of the coach. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, I'm sure you're so right. I remember one time in community college, it reminds me too. Or I remember in high school, I think there was some politics way in with me too. You know what I mean? Like I remember crossing the starting varsity point guard over. The dude, the dude literally went eight feet to the to the left, but I like missed the jumper. And I remember they were like, come on, man, we gotta boo boo boo. I'm like, man, you can't miss no shit. Like that wasn't a good move. Like I look back now, it's like, man, that would have been like crazy ball is life mixtape, that whole practice. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> you're right though. The outlook, I think there's, you know, it can dictate your outcome for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who did, who did you model your game after? I, I know you brought up, you said you had a Larry Bird nerf, nerf basket growing up. Um, but you had, you learned the Iverson crossover and you, and that's that's a big part of your game is the that's your, your the ball handling the dribbling the crossing people up. Who did you model your game after um, when you came up? By the time you got to high um, school, college. Yeah, so I modeled my game after first my pops, just who I copied, and then I started to get into basketball. And I actually caught Michael Jordan like kind of like midway through his career, you know, because I was born '84 his rookie year. So okay, started watching basketball really heavy probably around '90 '91 something like that. And so I modeled my game after George. Actually, one of the strengths of my game is actually mid-range. It's like the mid-range puller. I got my mid-range just from like George. I loved how he would like get in the key and then stop on a dime oh, and man. just pull up. The the, the lost oh, art today. Yeah. So I can't really play like Jordan, you know, it's 5'10", but like I got the mid-range from Jordan. And then Allen Iverson was the first player I tried to emulate off the dribble uh, with the crossover. And then uh, my trainer would show me different things. But then as I started getting into high school, I started mimicking guys who eventually became my teammates. Like I'm a hybrid of like Iverson and like my N one guys okay. who eventually became my teammates. Cause I was okay. a fan first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's transition. That's a good, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. How'd you get introduced to N one tell that story on how you, you go from Oregon, from Kaiser, Oregon, yep. playing ball, trying to get on the, on the, you know, play ball on the community college level, wanting to play D one. Um, mm -hmm. And then you find yourself, on this and one tour. Tell us about how, how you got there. So I think in um, 2000, I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, I went up to Portland, which is about 45 minute drive from, from uh, my hometown. And went up there because it was like a cooler mall, you know, better shopping. So we went to like a foot action. And my friend has, was actually telling me about and one, this new basketball brand. I was like, okay, cool. So I think he bought a pair of shorts and then like I tried on, you know, a pair of socks or something like that. And they were just giving you the mixtape. Even if you just try something on, they were giving away the and one mixtape, which is like a VHS tape. And it was kind of like, maybe not the first time, but one of the first, uh, one of the best packaged, uh, uh, products that came out that merged hip hop and basketball. Yeah, so yeah. 
<clears throat> the first one I ever saw was the NBA Jam Session uh, VHS tapes the NBA put out, and those were like in the '90s. I remember like Biggie was on there, uh, Bell Biv DeVoe, a bunch of bunch of rappers were on there, and then it was showing NBA highlights. So I think and one there may have been some inspiration from that. I'm not sure because those were big, but this was like the first time it was pushed to the forefront where like hip hop, like like new tracks that hadn't quite came out, but by mainstream artists were over the top of like streetball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but basically highlight basketball highlights for people who are not, not familiar. And um, I got this tape, man. And I just never I was always inspired by like guys like Allen Iverson, Rod Strickland, Tim Hardaway, guys who had a flashy style of game. I don't know why I always took to that because I liked I always liked the entertaining side of basketball. Like I really looked at it for fun instead of like a uh, ride or die for the team. Yeah. You yeah. know, like my dad, he's like hardcore blazer fan for life and whether they win or lose that's dictating his mood you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so i mean i love the team aspect of the game but i was always taken by the entertainment of it so when i saw the and one mixtape it was like that on steroids yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and i think this was and one mixtape volume two i first got a hold of what year was that and, and this is the year 2000 2000 okay and then i think on ebay i went and bought and one mixtape volume one that had actually come out a couple years prior i think that came out in 99 so I bought for like $7, I bought N1 Mixtape Volume 1, skipped my Lou, uh, doing his thing at Rucker. And that inspired me even on another level, because at the time, those highlights, he's only like 15, 16, 17 years old at Rucker playing against grown men. And I was always, you know, naturally in any environment I played, I'm always the underdog. I was always like really small, but I love to try to get people excited, but to also, you know, be good at the game. So this, this was just like the shoe fit. You know what I mean? I was instantly inspired. And I already, people knew I had a handle, but like I wanted to take it to new levels. I was like, how do I wow people like skip? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so how did you get on, how did you get on the squad? Like, yeah. So then uh, two years later, actually I'll say this here. A lot of people don't know this. So after my senior year in high school, uh, and one did their first tour and it was their first season on ESPN. Okay. Uh, excuse me. They had been touring for a couple of years. This was their first major tour that was like commercial and like on ESPN. All the tour dates are public in the Slam, ESPN Magazine, and all that. So I just go to the game as a fan. And then they had like open tryouts. It was like, like I found out up there that like you could try out and you could actually like hopefully play against Team A1 like at the end of the night. Like the first, I thought the whole thing, we were just going to watch exhibition game, but you actually watch the tryouts for like an hour or two. And then the team came out and played a few games. So, and this time they weren't even keeping score. And this is the year before I actually made it. So a lot of people don't know this. I actually made it out of the tryouts at that point, And I actually played against team and one and I was going against uh sick with it. Okay. Who was actually end up being one of my uh, longest spanning teammates, but, um, but one of my idols at the time. So I went back and forth. I think I only scored like one basket, like the game, the speed of the game was too fast for me at that point. Okay. And then, so I was like, cool, man. It was a heck of an experience. I have one highlight on Animal Mixtape Volume uh, 6. Most people think I just debuted on Volume 7. I actually have one on Volume 6. It doesn't say my name or anything, but threw it around to do, snatched it back. Oh, Jim lost it. <laughs> I just, like, passed it or something. But <clears throat> so, but it, gave, it got my confidence up. You know what I mean? I got to play with them and then went back for my freshman year of college. Like I said, barely ended up playing uh, community college. And then after that, I just got so much better, man. I hit the weights for the first time. Uh, I think I was like, I got up before practice and I made 500 jumpers before practice, like made 500. Mm. And then we come for open gym, you know, two or three o'clock, hit the weights after, and then I would come back in the gym and work on my game some more. And I did this for like three or four months. And my, I just improved like, whew, like tenfold, I think. I was always a really late bloomer, like emotionally immature and stuff. So like, I think I matured along with it. And then by the end of those, you know, by the time June came around after my freshman year, I was like a whole different player. Like, like if we get an open gym, my team was winning and I had guys going D1, D2 at my school, but it was, it was crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just yeah. flipped. And then next thing we know, and one's doing their season two of their, you know, major commercial tour TV show on ESPN. And so I just go up there to try out again. And then from there, the rest was history. I ended up making out of the tryouts. And next thing I know, I'm going back and forth with hot sauce. And then they asked me to come on tour with them. I didn't even know it was a contest. 
and then yeah you know wow there. <laughs> <laughs> well first of all any, any parents listening um might want to let your kids hear this about the work ethic the time the work that you put in i think yeah. a lot of people they see the results and they don't they don't understand the work that goes into this they don't understand no. the discipline no. yeah. you know what i'm saying they don't understand how much blood sweat until you said made 500 shots mm. you know there are people going in and saying i took 100 shots no yeah. You you made five hundred shots. You made five hundred shots. You mean at least an hour and a half, at least. Exactly. You're Steph Curry, it's still gonna take you an hour to make all of. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so that's the first thing. Um, but the other part is is when the opportunity arises, when the opportunity shows up, you're able to to, to perform after putting that work yeah. in. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like. I like what Kobe Bryant had to say is like, they asked him like, how do you have heart or how do you have confidence in these big moments? And he's like, man, he's overprepared. You know what I mean? Like prepared. It's like you invest so much time in it and you do so many different things during your practice time. It's like, what could the game throw at you that you haven't already at least slightly pondered or executed a bunch of times? You've seen it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You've seen it. You visualize it in your head and you can't wait for the moment. And I think also you mentioned like, you know, if parents are watching and take note, but, so true like a lot of parents will ask me how many hours a week should my kid or how many times a week should my kid be practicing basketball i'd be like oh they say in order to get to where you're at or play college or pro or whatever and i'll just be like i'll tell you what if he's gonna play pro you should be trying to get him to stop practicing so much because he's yeah. because he wants to practice too much like yeah. that's how i was yes. my parents were trying to get me to stop going to the gym so much yes stop going to the driveway every two seconds you're waking up the neighbors at night you know, do a little more homework, you know what I mean? So exactly. I told him, honestly, that's kind of where like pro players are at. Unless you're like six, nine. I know a couple of NBA players who just didn't love the game, but they're just so gifted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Perspective, right? <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, I want to transition just a little bit. Sure. Um, Cause you mentioned and one, and, and by the way, I don't know when, I can't remember when the first year and one, what was the first year of the tour? Was it 99 or 98? I think in in uh, either 99 or 2000 was actually the first tour. I think it was only like a few games. It, okay. it went like three games, then it was like four games, then it was like eight games. And then by the time 2002 came around, it was like commercial tour, 30 cities yeah, on yeah, ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. So before, and before the tour started, mm. A few of those guys came down to my hometown, Georgetown, and played against us during oh, yeah. the summer in 97, twice. They came down twice, I think, that summer. Yeah. So it was, the first time I think was Future and uh, Dribbling Machine, Shane. Shane. And uh, a couple other guys. And the second time, Future came back and then Headache came down with him. And uh, I loved, I loved competing with them dudes, man. Right? And they they, yeah. were, they weren't coming to play game. They were coming to ball, man. Win, <laughs> Especially yeah. future. I got much respect for the, for these guys, man, because uh, people think it's just about entertainment for them, but they can actually ball too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a that was one of the biggest misconceptions of that whole that whole run. And even today, I it's funny. My career actually thrives because of the myth that I can't actually play. That's that's why <laughs> it goes today. It's like. I don't know. People aren't familiar with the flashy stuff. They think it would have to be like choreographed to, for that to happen. But it's like, no, you could you could do that and be good. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we we played, man. Um, we we put a team together because we had a couple of guys that played college ball, and um, we beat. And they them were trying to get you to play at the Rucker, though, right? They liked your game. I think I think uh, if I remember correctly, Future had mentioned something about running with them at, at Rucker. Come mm. um, my, my guy, friend of mine, Wayne. Um, and, Invited those guys to come down, put the team together, and I had moved to New York later. And okay. but I, I was hustling, man. I was a personal trainer. New York yeah. is expensive. I was on my grind, man. So I wasn't even thinking about playing ball at that point. Uh, but they came I, down. Yeah, that wasn't how to get money. Like, nah, playing street ball to run. Nah, unless you're like Pee Wee Kirkland. Exactly. And <laughs> so we we had we had some good run. We won the first game. They came back and they beat us the second game. But it was it was real fun, man. So to to see them years a few years later. On that and one tour, oh, was, that had to be a trip. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. But but and those three, those guys are some some beasts. Those are some idols. Too, yeah, man. yeah, good dudes, man. Um, so you mentioned this combination, this intersection of hip hop and, and basketball, yeah. the way they packaged it, right? So it was great marketing, 
and it, and it really it really spoke to the culture. You, you brought two aspects of the culture together. Um, Perfect. But but I want to I want to, and I'm I'm sure you've had these conversations or people have have said these things to you. Um, when I when I played, let me start with this. When I played middle school, high school, and even college, um, if there were white guys that came on the court, my first thought, I'm eating his lunch. <laughs> of course. He ain't supposed to be on the court with me. Because, you know, where I'm in our community, this is our domain. We because we don't we don't have power, right, in, in culture like that. So like hip hop basketball even football this is where we are supposed to dominate right right 100%. it's like if i go play golf and do yeah right these guys are gonna be like yeah we're taking this oh, money right. <laughs> we take we probably, the game. We probably but yeah right so yeah. so knowing that and then you go into this space where it's dominated um by uh african-american ball players black ball players you know i remember playing against this guy um, Eric Van Vlake in high school, dude. He played. He actually played for Coach D'Antoni, not the coach for the Houston Rockets. His brother, okay, was the head coach. Okay. He mm. and he actually was assistant coach at the Lakers when when Coach D'Antoni was coaching the Lakers. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So he was okay. the high school coach for one of our rival teams, and he had this guard named Eric Van Vlake. I don't know if Eric. I don't know if he gets if he listens to this podcast, but when I tell you, you can shoot. Lefty, like Chris Mullen. Oh, wow. Okay. That boy could shoot. Gotcha. Right? But I remember playing against him, man, and, and my first thought was, I'm not letting this white guy do nothing on this court. Right? Because it's a yeah. pride thing. Because this is sure. this is my court. This I'm, I'm, this is what it is. It's unspoken yeah. sometimes, but this is what it is. So you're a white guy from Kaiser, Oregon. Right? And you come in and you, and you made the and one and one squad and you're in this space. You're probably comfortable with it because you, you're, you're a baller, you're a hooper. What is that? What is that like when you enter into that space um, as a as a white kid trying to make a name for himself? Did you get pushback? Did you get disrespect? Tell us a little bit about that being in, in that immersed in that space. So. <clears throat> The first thing is you're saying like, hey, I'm probably used to that. I actually wasn't used to it. You know, like my whole uh, induction into and one was more about I'm just happy to be here. You know what I mean? These are my idols. Like I'm living a movie right now. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as like suiting up and taking to the court in Madison Square Garden or like, you know, like even Memorial Coliseum where the Blazers used to play, I tripped out. You know what I mean? A little bit nervous going into it because prior to that the most people i'd ever played in front of was only like a few hundred you know like that was like the playoffs of my high school and then like one of my juco games probably like 150 200 people maybe so to all of a sudden play in front of 10 to 20,000 i'm i mean i'm sweating bullets a few a few times but i think that i was having so much i was so excited about it though i was nervous i was able to to flourish and also, the other aspect is just God's plan. You know what I mean? Like some of the plays, some of the things that happened that summer, I couldn't even. I don't think I could have duplicated. You know what I mean? It was just you can't, you can't, you can't manufacture that yourself. I had two buzzer beaters. We beat and one had never lost. We beat them twice, and one of them was in Madison Square Garden. Hit a buzzer beater. We beat Team and one in New York, and I had like this buzzer beater was like from like six feet behind the three point line. And at that time, I wasn't like a range. Like I, I was a good shooter, but I had like crazy range, but this happened to work out and um yeah you know my whole thing i think part of why i worked out too i think i had just i was just grateful to be there i could have got cut at any moment and I, it would have been huge for me i mean we, we were on espn yeah i remember here's a, here's something i never said before i remember when the tv show came on i had been on the tour for about a month or something like that maybe three weeks and every few games is an elimination game but i kept getting by every time every elimination game i'll go crazy right so the TV show is about to come on. And mind you, I didn't even know it was a contest the night I went to try out. It was just about that moment. I didn't know it was a contest. I'm like, cool. And I'm I'm so in awe of like who I'm playing with that I, I'm not listening to details. So the TV show comes on and I'm hoping that I could like pause it or like maybe see myself for like a couple seconds, you know, and tell the homies back home. <laughs> Funny enough, the show was about the, the new talent. I didn't even know that, you know what I mean? Uh. 
So I was like starring on the show. I had at least out of a 25 minute show or, or whatever, I probably had 13 to 15, 16 minutes of airtime. You know what I mean? Wow. So my mind was, I'm sitting there in the hotel watching with everybody else. I'm, my mind's blown. The editors didn't tell me anything. Yeah. You know, they didn't, uh, we didn't know. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, so there was that aspect of it. You were asking more about the, yeah, yeah. Stuff. I, 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 you know, I think I told you, I think I, we had this conversation before where I said, if you yeah. were on it back in the day, if you yeah. were my age and you came on the court, I don't care who you were. I don't care how yeah. tight your handles were. Yes. Because you were a white guy, I was going to challenge you. Yeah. Right? So that's, so yeah, that's, that was the whole <laughs> narrative. But you know, what's interesting though. I look so much like a kid. Like when I was 18 years old, I probably could have passed for like 13, you know, like, like literally could have passed for 13 years old. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of times I was playing that didn't happen until I proved myself. Then it was a problem. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. When, when that first TV show came on, the stakes got way higher. Like okay. they were already high. Cause like dudes don't want to get done up. But yeah. like, I, I think also I, I'm the type of person to go unnoticed. You know what I mean? Like I would always be unnoticed until in my game spoken. I'm like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Like yeah. I was one of that person. You could just pass by and don't think anything of it. looked like a kid. So I think I wasn't respected just from the jump period. I wasn't even worth nobody's energy in yeah, the yeah, beginning. Yeah. Like my teammates are beasts. The guy I mentioned sick with it. You know, he's MVP of the Drew league back in the day, you know, played D one. AO was like the best player in Philly, like could have been in the NBA. He had NBA talent, um, yeah. headache, played, you know, division two, something like dude, dudes were like beasts. So I was like way under that level, or at least I thought I was, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I was taught that I wasn't that good. Yeah. You know, yeah. a couple months ago. So, um, the, the territorial, territorial stuff, people coming at me was really heavy after that, like first TV show aired. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's when you got the challenges. More, so, I mean, it was always every night was a challenge because I did kind of play a lot, but I think people didn't really like fully like respect my game. And I didn't have, I remember there was one game I had like 25 points, and then they started to kind of like raise a brow and be like, all right, what's going on here, you know? But I didn't actually experience too much racism, or okay. I know that it's not racism, what's other, but too but, much, but, but issues animal. involving race is what you're saying. You know, yeah, I, did, I didn't. I didn't face too much of that. Not, not, not at least directly. I mean, people would call me like white boy, but like I considered that a culture norm. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. It was almost like, you know what I mean? It wasn't a derogatory thing. It was just this white boy. Yeah. It's just how to, it's just an identifier. I didn't yeah. think anything of it. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that then. I'm glad you didn't, you didn't get too much of that, but I'm telling you right now. I back mean, people would call me actually, you know, I take that back. Like fans would mention stuff. Like I heard myself be called a cracker like quite a few times. Yeah. But it's funny because like I was almost so grateful just to be there. Like I didn't even like you could have said anything. I was kind of just like, well, I don't belong here anyway. So I'm just happy to be here. Uh, if I got a fan saying something bad about me. Yeah. Fan, 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 fans will throw anything at you. I, I just yeah. I just know if it was back in the day. Yeah. Where I'm from, you would have gotten it until you earn that respect. Like, OK, he's he's cool. But that's just the territorial nature of the hard, you know, African-American black ball players on the hard court. We're going to, we're going to, this is where we don't, we're supposed to dominate. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's my whole, I face up my whole life. We're talking about just year one. I mean, that's, that's been my narrative all the way, yeah, yeah. all the way through. And then I kind of use it as counter motivation for me. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm different. Or at least, at least that's how I try to. And as a ball player, you should. Yeah, you that's how I was thinking it. As motivation. My, my oldest thing is like, well, you may have had encounters, but this encounters, this is going to be a little bit different. <laughs> I'm a problem. I'm going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, basketball um, and sports in general is a, a great connector and, and not in, the, in a superficial way when it comes to race. I want to really dial in on, on that because that's what this, this podcast is about. And so sports becomes this connector where... You in that locker room, you, you, you're practicing, you're sweating, you're going through the journey with, with, with a team, um, and you form this brotherhood or this sisterhood, right? And, yep. and it can break down some, some barriers. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, given the climate, right, um, mm -hmm. especially over the last year or so, being immersed in that culture, because you got some good friends, you got some guys who said like your idols, balling 
that became teammates, but I also know you have some guys that are like some of your good friends that, that, are, that are legends on the court, right? How has that impacted uh, or, or, or how have you learned, what have you learned about race from being immersed in that? Because that's very different than people who just have friends, but they stay on one side of town or yeah. their friends are in their their world in the suburbs, right? Yeah. But you're, in, you're you're traveling with them, you're, you're friends with them, you're living with them, you got you know you got relationships there. You're immersed in it. So what have you learned from being immersed in that about race, about racism, um, over the years? My my biggest takeaway is that if if you have like a really like genuine friendship or like you said, like I was immersed in the culture, it's almost like if that's the case, like cross-cultural, right? Or, or two different races, if they become genuine friends and they like rock together and like share some experiences. What I've learned is I feel like people will have more compassion uh, for that person. It's almost like they'll get a pass. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, they'll get a pass that other people of that race wouldn't, or even you, you might look at the race on a whole as with more compassion, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever, if you are racist, because a lot of my teammates, weren't as fond of white people i would say in general we didn't even really have those combos but like i know like i i was a friend you know what i mean yeah, and i think it's yeah. because they just had you know more compassion more of a heart for somebody who they shared experiences with so absolutely that's i think that's the takeaway it's like i saw a shirt that kareem abdul jabbar was wearing on instagram i just posted on my story yesterday and he's and i circled it he said the shirt said uh try and make make friends, try and become good friends with somebody who doesn't look like you. And I think like, if we all were interested in actually like practicing that and really like going full force, which probably isn't possible, then the world could be different. But it's almost like where we're unfamiliar is when we kind of like throw our guard up and then even resent or have false theories about different race. So for me, that's another takeaway, living on the fence of white and black culture my whole life there's a lot of false theories and misconceptions about the other race. And then it forms like your whole ideology and viewpoint of that race based on like misconceptions or yeah. just being like unfamiliar with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you said a lot, you said a lot, man. Um, I know. Sorry. No, no, it was good. It was good. Oh. I just want to unpack some of that stuff because what we're talking about is proximity. You, 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 you're in close proximity to each, to one another. And so you get to know one another and a lot of those things get broken down. Um, and, then, and then there's grace because somebody might inevitably going to say something stupid or do something. And it, because you know them, there's more of an opportunity to talk through that. Yeah. Right. As opposed to, I'll give an example. I, I, I have friends I grew up with and one, one guy in particular, um, he made it, he, he, we, we had, we had dinner a few years ago and he said, I won't say his name, um, but he said, if you would have told me that I would have been having dinner with a black guy after graduating from high school, I would have told you you were crazy. Wow. Now, this is somebody I, I, I knew since fourth grade. We played football together. Wow. If you, I, it, it, it shocked me only because of the relationships I know he had and what I thought, I thought we were cool. But the fact that he would have said you would I would have said you were crazy if you told me I'd be having dinner with a black guy after graduating high school. Like that was his viewpoint. That's shocking. That, that's just right. But we yeah. played football together, little league. Right. Right. But here's the difference. He wasn't immersed in my culture. No. Like when I go to the grocery store, when I as a black person, as a, a minority, marginalized groups, we have to be in in white culture. Right. It's the dominant yeah. group. But he doesn't have to be in my culture. So it's easy, it's easy for him to, to have those viewpoints, to, to play together, but not have a true friendship. That's not right. true of all my white classmates. Right. But there are a few, right? Yeah. And so that's why I asked the question, and I want people to understand um, the proximity that you had to them and they had to you can break down those 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 walls and those barriers and deal with some of those misconceptions and those ideologies. Totally. Right? And that's yeah. why I call sports 
um, in basketball in particular, the great this great connector. It is such a connector because the truth is even <clears throat> what I was going to say earlier is that um, the reason I was in, I wasn't necessarily even, I didn't know much about black culture, but I was into basketball. I was into hip hop. Okay. Which are, you know, big uh, stakes in the black culture. You know what I mean? So yeah, those connected me with the culture. And then like when I went to college, I had like a couple black roommates and, and then I found like, I don't really know much about the culture per se. You know, I just knew it probably knew basketball and this is what it came with. And my parents had no racism or anything. So I was never, I wasn't raised with any like hate or anything toward other races period. So yeah, yeah. it was cool, but you know, going, like you said, being immersed in the culture and learning more uh, definitely cha- is a game changer. Absolutely. Because yeah. here's the thing. If you if you like hip hop, then you need to understand jazz, the blues. Or you should. Negro spirituals. Yeah. You, you need to understand gospel music. You need to understand that lineage to truly understand hip hop, the music of hip hop or R&B. Right. Yeah. If to you, truly, you're right. To truly understand, right? Because they have millions of hip hop fans, and they don't care. They just listen to what's hot today. Right. Just now. listen to the music, the the, the result, yeah. the product that's been commercialized. But there is a, there is something. Hip hop represents something. It's an expression of something. Uh, actually, there's a podcast episode that we did with um, um, Dr. Dwight Radcliffe, and he does a hip hop theology class. He teaches, and um, we talk about we talk about that back in February. To understand basketball and like why, even going back to what I said about if a white guy was on the court with me, my first mindset is I'm going to destroy him because this is supposed to be my space. This is where I dominate as a black man, right? Why is that? Well, to understand that, to understand the trash talking, the territorial aspect, the, how competitive it is on that court is to understand the whole, you, you, you got you to gotta know the whole culture. Why is yeah. that? Why is that basketball court so important? Right. Well, there are no golf courses in our yeah. communities. No, and right? it's, no, and it's too expensive. It might be too expensive exactly. for that area to play. Sign up and play it. Yeah. This is a this is a way out. This is an escape. This is this basketball is central to uh, you know I talk about a theology of play, and what's central to a theology of play is joy. Mm, yeah. So for us, this is where we get joy. Yeah. Basketball, football, track, right? And so to understand and one, to understand street ball. Yeah. You gotta you you gotta want to know the culture. Yeah. The history, right? Yeah. And why it's so important. It's not it's not detached from the from the rest of who we are. Um but but you know I I want people to to know, you know I've I've known you I don't know how long now it's it's been a, it's been about ten years right, two thousand nine, two thousand nine yeah. so it's but it's twelve we're going on just twelve years, yeah so it's been about twelve years, um, and what I appreciate about you is a couple of things one, you're not trying to be who you're not. I don't feel like it. <laughs> you, 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 you've been comfortable being who you are. That's, I, and I've seen a lot of guys who tried to be black. Totally. Or tried to be hip. Tried yeah. to be street. Well, I went through those seasons, though. I did, like, early on. Okay. You know? Yeah, just being on. But some don't learn. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so by the time I met you, and as we've talked and, and grown in our friendship... Um, you've been comfortable being who you are. You've been consistently been who you are, right? And um, not just who you are, but comfortable being in this in, in my culture, mm. at my at my church, right? Yeah. So those are the things that I, I've I've come to appreciate about you. Um, I'm definitely not going to get on the court with you because um, I want I want all my ACLs, all my my ligaments, my ACL, LCL, MCL. Hey, for the listeners, we have been on the court together, though. <laughs> got buckets. Man. Um, what was that? How many years ago was that? That was probably like six years ago, maybe? Seven. When? 
Remember when we played each other in the uh, church league, remember? Oh, that was yeah. that was probably about eight years ago. Yes, Nine. eight years ago. Yeah. 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 I didn't guard you guys too tight, though. You weren't going <laughs> I would have okay. fouled you first. <laughs> my days are done, man. My days are done. I'm straight playing horse or shooting jump shots. That's it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your faith intersecting with basketball. Because I know that's important to you. Um, I've watched you grow as a as a as an entrepreneur. I've watched you um, utilize your platform. Um, I've also watched you grow in terms of your faith and understanding who God is. We've had conversations over the years. Now, for people who are listening, I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying he's this perfect Christian guy. <laughs> None of Thank us you. are, right? <laughs> but the yeah. goal is that we continue to grow. So tell tell us a little bit about how how important it is about intersecting your faith and and your platform and playing the game of basketball. I mean, I feel like it's it's essential because you know the the talent of basketball to begin with was God given. You know what I mean? Like the passion for it. I feel like you know, and then well, people and people, I think they miss that's a misconception too, right? They feel like if you, something's God given, you're just automatically great. Yeah. It's like, no, that, that gift was given. And then I was able to nurture it through hard work, practice, you know, studying the game and stuff like that. So I feel like, um, once you know that it's a God given purpose, it's like, how can you not use it for his glory or for the true purpose that he gave it to you for, you know, which was, you know, a, to get to know him through, but then also B, to try to impact others with. So I almost feel like, like if I didn't use it, if I didn't use it to glorify Christ, it, it would just seem like empty. You know what I mean? At, at this phase, knowing what I know now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what does that mean to glorify yeah. Christ for you? What does that, what does that mean? I yeah. do this to glorify God, to glorify, glorify Christ. What does that mean for you? Um, mainly two different things. Um, number one would be like my whole get down with basketball try to rep Christ within the game, within the business of it, on the court, um, you know, who I roll with, what I represent. And uh, in doing that, I feel like you're definitely going to stand out as different, you know what I mean? Because Christ is so countercultural. Yeah. And then the second uh, thing that really stands out to me, there's probably more I'm missing right now, but like it's just uh, spreading the awareness of Christ, period. So, you know, every year, I get a lot of bookings, you know, come to this church and do this and do that. And I want to do more than I do, but a lot of times it'll be like, you know, they want some like long amount of time and it's, it's really for, you know, voluntary for free, which, which I'm cool with, but I try to be strategic and pick the ones that I feel like God just wants me to go do. And sometimes it's, it'll just sound right. Just feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. no monetary attachment to it. And, and actually I've never been to one that wasn't awesome. To be honest, I never did one b-ball ministry experience that actually didn't go like great so uh with that being said you know doing those events and then covering them with video is it brings awareness to christ whether it's me uh telling my story to the people who are at the event uh or even like you know the video that would come after it and then like i even did like a ted talk and like i actually shared my faith on the ted talk uh, which I had never seen done, but they, they let it, you know what I mean? They let it ride. I didn't make it like a full on testimony, but I shared my faith within that. And so these are just things that are jumping out to me, but I always am trying to bring awareness to Christ, you know, spread the word and then also glorify him through whatever I do. And then really the whole core of everything is like to inspire and impact people. And that could be like for faith, that could be just to hey get active, be motivated to 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 sweat, play like I like a forty five year old hit me recently and he was like man you motivated me to get back into ball I'm like oh it's awesome like you know what I mean so yeah so that's what I think when I think about okay. faith and, okay. and ball let me ask you yeah. this what has how how has basketball what has basketball taught you that helps helps you in your faith your faith journey. Because you, mm. men you mentioned faith plays into how you how you conduct yourself on the court, how you do business, people who you yep. roll with. But 
how does basketball help you in your faith? That's an interesting dynamic. I need to explore more. <laughs> but, but, but I think it, you said you, you take said away it. from it, right? Go ahead. The discipline that comes with, you know, practicing and honing the craft and then like always improving, like still even to this day in my career, still trying to improve. Like I feel like I've never been better. That was kind of weird because I'm in the late 30s, but I don't have an 82 game season. So I'm not measured off the NBA rigors. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you can take that in your face, right? Always trying to like grow and uh, studying the game. You know, um, got to study the word, you know what I mean? Got to grow. So I think there's a lot of par- – we've talked about this before, right? You yeah. had mentioned your, even your uh, your book concept, but a lot of parallels. Yeah. Uh, the, t- the the team, community. Team aspect. Yeah, community is huge, you know yes. We, we, can't, we can't win without a team. You can't yeah. do this faith without community, right? Right. Um, you, you mentioned the discipline. Um, also – if you're competing, knowing your your opponent. Ooh, there you go. Right? Yeah. I don't care. You know, a lot of times people have problems with this idea of thinking about war and battle, using that language, because it can be taken out of context and be used in in negative in a negative sense. Right. But, But the reality is there is a spiritual battle. And then there's, you know, there's there's practical battles that we're in, whether it's inner battles or you got sometimes you got people that just come at you yeah so how do i respond when i know there's an adversary when i know that there's someone that is trying to distract me they don't want me to succeed they're gossiping they're talking whatever whatever the case may be right so basketball understanding your your, your opponent understanding yeah. that which comes against you and how do you respond um right. pressure when, yeah. when, when, when pressure is on, when, 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 when your emotions are high, you know, yeah. you can play the game with passion, but you got to also play the game with composure. Yeah. That's yeah. a, that's a, and that's a weird combination. Sometimes one gives, yeah. gives in to the other oftentimes. So, you know, I hope people listening, especially anybody, any, any young folks listening that, um, the game can teach you about faith. Totally. And faith can enhance, empower, and take and give the game greater purpose. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah, it's insane how many parallels there are when you're yeah. trying to add them up. Yeah. So so I appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, before we go, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, what you got in, in, in the works with Global Hooper. Um Talk to us a little bit. Anything you want to share? Yeah. No, I'm excited moving forward. Um, trying to expand Global Hooper, actually. Like right now, we always do two collections a year. It's like a fall, winter, and a spring, summer one. But we're actually trying to expand to where we do like four drops a year, four or five drops a year. So I'm excited about that. Every couple months should be a, a new drop and a whole new like concept behind the collection. So I'm really excited about that. And then um, really just trying to expand on all platforms. And then hopefully as, you know, the vaccine spread and COVID stuff starts to hopefully normalize moving forward, travel becomes more of a thing. And then, you know, get back on the road, you know what I mean? And do a few events. So, um, yeah, my day's really consumed by just like trying to think of the most innovative video concepts trying to think of what new moves I can break out, how I can better entertain the crowd and then the clothing. And then another thing I'm really excited about, you can sign up right now, actually at crossover5.com. You'll get a free video, five steps to the perfect crossover, but uh, you'll also be on the list for the people that would be notified first when I launch my online training and that'll have an emphasis in ball handling, but it'll be like all basketball skill training. So I'm trying to launch that this summer. Really excited about that. And that's crossover. The number five or the word five? Yeah, sorry. Crossover in the number five.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a few things we're working on. We're going to a couple projects I can't even speak about right now. So we're staying busy. That's good. You know? That's good. Well, man, I, I really want to reiterate to people who are listening before we go. Um, I'm really want to go back to what you said about maybe 20 minutes ago when we were talking about the intersection of race and sports. And yes. what you described for people, 
I want them to understand that that is, um, we were talking about solidarity. We're not just talking about unity. We're not just talking about, hey, let's just get along. We're talking about solidarity. And one thing that solidarity requires is proximity to one another. And, and I really challenge the white community because, like I said, I have to be in white spaces, right? Whether I'm yeah. going to the grocery store, the mall. Um, well, especially in California, especially right? Especially in California. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you, every, different some yeah. places in Atlanta or D.C., but, but even then. Yeah. If you if you're out in the public, yeah, you're in you're in white spaces. Work, most people going to work. You got white colleagues, coworkers, right? Um, but then, a lot of white folks don't have to be in black, brown, Asian spaces. No, right, native spaces. No. Like where I'm from, one of the whitest states. Oregon, one of the whitest states. Yeah, Utah, places like that. And so, one of the things that I want people to, to, to take away is this idea of proximity. That it is both, if we're talking to my Christian friends, it is both biblical, it, is, it should be a part of your theology, um, but also practically in, in the way we do life, if we wanna address, confront um, racism, and, and I like to use white supremacy um, as an ideology, not just white supremacist groups, but just the ideology that comes with that, um, that infects all of us actually, whether we know it or not, whether you realize it or not, everybody's impacted by it because it's what literally created, formed this country we live in, right? The rules, the policies, the culture, all that stuff. And so solidarity is important, man. And one reason why I asked you to come on is because you you were comfortable enough, secure enough in who you are to, to immerse yourself in that culture and be in the culture, right? Um, and not just try to exploit or not just try to pretend to be someone you're not. Right. And so that's one thing I've always appreciated about you. Um, you had choices on what church you could have attended and, and you chose to attend my ministry for a number of years. Right. And, and we, we broke bread together. Um, and, and, and I appreciated your ministry. You know what I mean? And I appreciate you shedding light on this right here. Right. There's so many, I mean, man, getting to the nitty gritty of everything that's going on in the culture right now. It couldn't be a better, you were on this before though, before yeah. it was hot, you know, just bringing awareness need to be awareness just for people in general yeah. before it was a hot topic. So I appreciated that. And then also, uh, even hoop stuff, you know what I mean? Like we're talking about theology and hoop, like it's, it's crazy. It all ties together though, right? Mm -hmm. Ray, hoop, theology. So yeah, I appreciate the ministry work too. I was happy to go on your faith, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the intersection of sport and theology, man. You know, for me, basketball was sacred, sacred space. Mm -hmm. You know, you get on that court, you know what it is. You get on that yeah. court. And for me, just me by myself in the gym, hearing that ball bounce, going through the net, peace, peace of mind, man. Yeah. It's like a sanctuary. Yeah. So um, I, I hope people got, got to know who you were, who you are. I hope people really walk away with this idea of proximity when we're talking about race. Um, don't, don't do it from, from, from the safe, safe spaces of, of your part of town. Um, right. <laughs> come into proximity. You know, I, I always tell people one thing that you modeled was you, you were, you, you, you learning, you learned from a, a pastor of color. You know, how many churches are there African-American, Latinx, or Asian, Native, you know, Muslim background, pastor, but you have a, a large white congregation? How many churches are like that? Not many. No, not many at all. Right? Not hard, I don't know of any others. Yeah. Pers personally, I don't, but I'm sure, yeah, yeah I'm sure there's Not a few. many. Yeah. And so you were willing to learn from a pastor of color, from a black man. And you know, from anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and we built we built that uh you know friendship in in the process. So I appreciate you, man. Likewise. You, you know, I got your back, support you, and uh, keep Thank doing you. what you're doing. Keep keep playing the game, keep keep honoring the Lord. Um, not on not just on the court but off the court. Um, I always tell people, um, 
character, integrity is when no one's looking. Yeah. When it's just you. Totally. Now, again, not that you're going to be perfect with it, but, but consistent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We all going to drop the ball somewhere, but being consistent. Sure. So I appreciate you, man. And, and um, we'll definitely connect soon. Likewise, man. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. If you want to follow the professor on social media, you can follow him on YouTube at Professor Live or on Instagram at The Professor. That's at The Professor. And on TikTok at The Professor. Once again, I want to thank you for listening and parking with me at the intersections. <laughs>